Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, you know sometimes how... You feel like you, you can you can make fun of some of your coworkers or some of your friends or maybe some of your family members, but nobody from the outside can do it. You Absolutely. know that, that kind of thing. It's like okay, you know we're you know we're 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 teammates, we're friends, you know, we're family, whatever. I can tease you, mm-hmm. but but you know that then you kind of rally circle the wagons when somebody from outside that area starts to do it. I had that feeling yesterday while I was listening to the Packers game. Um, and watching it on TV, I was listening to it, the national feed with Troy Aikman and hairplug Joe Buck, you know, who were doing the, the show. Did you did you hear what Buck was saying about Aaron Rodgers? The uh, inoculated toe situation or whatever he said? Well, right. He, he starts off when when Rodgers comes on the field. He says, um, here comes Mr. Bad Toe out to play. No score. So he's kind of mocking him for playing through the broken toe, mm-hmm. which actually, you say what you want about Aaron Rodgers, but if anybody's ever broken their toe, you know that hurts like heck, much less to go out on a football field and have guys like Aaron Donald and Von Miller chasing you around and trying to play high-level football with a broken toe. So Joe Buck mocks him on that. And then a little bit later on, Aaron Andrews, who's the sideline reporter, she says that uh, Rodgers had taken a pain-killing injection pre-game. And so then old Joe Buck says, so Aaron is telling us he's had that toe immunized against <laughs> the pain. You know, and I guess I thought, well, as somebody who has from time to time mocked Aaron Rodgers' approach to things, the, the too clever language and the fact that, you know, he oftentimes thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and acts like that. And, you know, the, you know, you know, what's the definition of is, is, and some of the other sort of hippy dippy stuff that you've had. It, it was kind of like, okay, it's one thing when us Packer fans are doing it, but when it's a guy like Joe Buck that's doing it, it's, it kind of, it just didn't sit right with me. It's rubbed you the wrong way to get the day started. It rubbed me the wrong way to get the day started. Well, it, it, the mere fact that Troy Aikman and Joe Buck are doing the games, you know, uh, the Packers games, that always rubbed me the wrong way. It's kind of like, really, is this the best you can come up with, Fox? But apparently it is. But, I, you know, he was Joe Buck, you know, the king of the hair transplants, the king of the hair plugs. He decided that he was going to make fun of Aaron Rodgers. Not sure how exactly I felt about that. Here is something I feel very strongly about. Kudos to the various communities, unlike, for example, Menominee Falls, that went ahead with their Christmas parades over the weekend. You know, Grafton's, they, they actually, you know, they stepped off their Christmas parade carrying a sign that said, you know, we stand with Waukesha. At other parades, there were moments of silence and things like that. But actually, it's great because the organizers of the Grafton Parade said, well, of course we were going to go ahead and do it. You know, we don't want to give up to the fear. And they went ahead and they had an extremely successful Christmas parade. Um, and again, also remembering the victims in, you know, what, what happened in Waukesha. 
a week ago. And I thought that was such a better way of handling it than, say, the people in Menominee Falls who decided, the, the organizers, including the village president, who decided, well, I'm afraid people might be fearful to participate and come out. Well, uh, okay, as terrible as it was in Waukesha, and believe me, it was incredibly terrible, this idea that we're going to not have a return to normalcy, that we're going to cancel events for year after year because people are, are afraid I, I just, I, I reject it. So kudos to Grafton and the other communities around the area. The Appleton Parade went off as well, I believe, for doing what I think was absolutely the right thing, not giving into the fear, not giving into the panic, but also doing it in a way that could be incredibly respectful uh, to, you know, the folks who ended up losing their lives and all the dozens and dozens of other people who were injured out in uh, Waukesha. I think Grafton did a tremendous job. Okay, let us get started. Is it too little, too late? Now, Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, the World Health Organization, a very controversial organization, announced that there's been this new variation of COVID that has been discovered. Omicron. And it, it apparently originated, they think, in, in the southern portion of Africa, South Africa, and a couple of the other countries. We don't know a lot about this yet. Um, early reports suggest that while this might be a different variant that is infectious, we don't know if the um, various vaccinations that people have gotten protect it. The initial thing, if you're looking for some good news about this, some of the initial reports are that the symptoms that come from this are mild. So, and again, I understand, especially there's people with compromised immune systems, you don't want to get sick at all. But it, at least some of the initial reports about the, this Omicron virus is that it's, it, it is a milder version of this, if that turns out to be true. But as we found out with COVID and the Delta variant and all these things, a lot of times we, we just don't know. What we think we know on one day might completely change a week later. So anyhow, the reports were starting on, on Thursday. The reports came out that you had this new variant that was out there. Immediately after this was announced, a number of countries immediately started locking down things. United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, and then later on others, cut off visitors from affected African countries. So did France, Italy, Germany, Spain, and other European Union members. The European Commission spokesperson said, look, we need to act fast. We're trying to do everything we can to prevent the virus from entering Europe. Now, that's oftentimes it's very, very difficult because it's entirely possible that somebody who might have been infected with this had already come from one of the African nations. But nevertheless, the idea was until we figure out what's going on here, the thing we can do, we can't guarantee it's not already here, but we can stop lots more people who might have it from coming into the country. So that's that's what many, many, many countries across the world did. It is not what the United States did immediately. And this, if you want to tie it back, Anthony Fauci was one of the big proponents of this. The World Health Organization, who does not like travel bans, and Anthony Fauci is very, very invested in making sure that we, 
he get along with who? So what happened is we didn't announce an immediate travel ban. On Friday, President Biden sort of swung into action, and he announced a a travel ban on several African countries. But here's the deal. The ban that Biden announced exempts American citizens and permanent residents from this travel ban. So if you're a permanent resident or you're a citizen, you can still come back into the country. You um, have to be tested, but but that's it. There's no quarantine that's imposed. There's just a, a testing requirement. And what we're already seeing in other countries is the fact that there are people who've apparently come from some of these African nations who were asymptomatic and who, in fact, were then tested, and it was determined that they were carrying this particular virus. So right now, we, we have a, a ban, and I put that in quotation marks, that's in effect. It went into effect later than other countries did, and it, it's not really a, a ban. It's a ban on foreign travelers, but it, it's it's saying, okay, we're going to sort of evaluate whether or not you might be sick based on your passport as opposed to, I don't know, whether, whether you actually have this virus or not. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is fair to say that we were very, very slow in the beginning of COVID, back in the spring of 2020, in, in starting to impose travel bans. I also understand that travel bans are not perfect, that, you know, people can have already have come into the country from African nations and been exposed to this and spread it. I I understand that's a possibility. But at the same time, not imposing a full travel ban until we know more about this particular variant, to me, makes no sense at all. And to allow Americans or permanent residents who may have been exposed to this to come back into the country and bring it with them, I think is absolutely crazy for the moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, honestly, it seems to me the ban that the Biden administration belatedly put into effect, it's it's got so many holes in it that it really doesn't, it, it's almost like not having a ban at all. You're either going to ban travel until you figure out what's going on with this variant, or you're not. And right now, we're essentially not. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we have closed down our borders from travel from these affected countries sooner, and should we be doing it more thoroughly until we know more about what this virus is all about? And my answer is, you bet. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Topics like this are so interesting to me because people's reactions are all over the map. Jeff, We don't need any travel bans. They don't work. Nobody cares anymore about COVID. It's here to stay. Okay. Well, (laughs) yes and no. I understand that we're going to have to figure out a way to live with COVID. I, I get it. But at the same time, 
if you have developed and you've determined that there are, are certain new variants which are in different parts of the world, until you get a handle on how you're going to treat those variants, isn't it responsible to say, all right, we're going to try to do everything we can to keep those variants from spreading to the United States. And maybe the first way we do that is by saying people who are traveling from countries where there is variant there, we're we're not going to let them in for at least a little while. I'm not talking about a permanent ban, but until we figure out how serious this is, is it life-threatening? Does it stand up to the vaccines that are there? I mean, to me, it, it only makes sense to say, all right, we're going to put some temporary limitations that are in place. Yeah, I understand that COVID is going to be with us forever, and I appreciate that we're going to have to figure out a way to live with it. But if you can do things that reasonably stop a a new virus from being introduced into the country, let's do it. But all right, even if you don't agree with me, what the Biden administration did to me was the worst of all worlds. They, they, first of all, belatedly decided they were going to go with a travel ban. And then once they went with the travel ban, they said, OK, well, except we're not going to apply this to citizens and um, permanent residents. Like, all right, so if you're a U.S. citizen who's been in South Africa or wherever and maybe has been exposed to this, it's okay for you to come back into the country, but I don't know, some other South African business person who might have been exposed to it, he can't come into the country. I'm just saying the way they did that, it makes no sense. It seems to me you either have to be consistent across the board and recognize that we, we're we going to try to close the borders in an effort to not shut it down because you're never going to shut down the spread. My guess is that this is in the country right now. But doesn't it make more sense until we know what this is to try to limit the amount of people who are going to be pouring into this country who might have been exposed to this? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, it appears that Biden has curiously acted less decisively than Trump in enacting travel bans when you consider Biden having a year's worth of income, yet Trump was vilified as an overreactive racist. Yeah, there is that, that element there, and clearly I think that's one of the things that's going on because a number of people who oppose the travel ban are simply saying that this is, this is Afrophobic. Oh, here, here we're discriminating against, you know, people who are coming from South Africa, from the southern portions of Africa. My response would be what we're doing is the same thing that a number of other countries are trying to do, which is if you know it is a hot spot in a certain area of the world, let's try to limit our exposure in this country to people who might have been in that section of the world at least at least until we know what's going on here, at least until we have some information about whether the vaccines that we have in place already work. To me, that's just common sense about this entire situation. Uh, but but again, we, we throw common sense out the window when um, there's there. Jeff, many Americans think that Fauci and Biden are totally wrong about COVID. Closing the country is a political football. Well, Okay, it's a political football, but you got to be consistent with the way that you're approaching it. One of the things that President Trump was criticized for, and I think quite to an extent, perhaps fairly, was the fact that I think he was slow to close the country to China because of a lot of the different concerns. Now, would that have... 
would it have guaranteed that COVID would not have become as rampant as it became in this country over the last year and a half? No, nobody knows that for sure. But now that you've got this new variant that's out there, how in the world could we not be more proactive on this entire situation? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, here's the real problem that we have to end up dealing with this. I, I think, look, the, the, one of the reasons the stock market crashed on Friday, now it, it's coming back as I think saner heads are starting to prevail right now, but one of the things that scared people on Friday was not the fact that there might be travel bans that were put in place, but the fact that this new variation of, of COVID might lead the government to go back to lockdowns. And that's, I mean, you want to talk about something that just would absolutely kill the economy. It, it would be that. Now, Joe Biden today said he, he doesn't think that we're going to need lockdowns. And, and that's a last-ditch measure because when, when you have, whether it's the Tony Evers of the world or the Joe Bidens of the world that are announcing to certain businesses you can't be open and people can't um, go to certain stores and things like that, that's what causes economic chaos. So I guess I look at it from this perspective. I, I think what we need to do, is as long as COVID is going to be with us and as long as we're going to continue to have government responses for that, you have to do things that you got to do what you can to make sure we don't get to that lockdown phase, which is where you really get the economic devastation. That, to me, is why travel bans, while they are not perfect, travel bans at least have the opportunity of slowing the spread of something not eliminating it, but slowing the spread of something while the medical researchers can get a handle on it. Now, hopefully, we are much better positioned now to deal with these variants of, of COVID that, that come along. Um, I'm afraid in some respects, though, you know, for the rest of our lives, we might kind of be playing this whack-a-mole game where, okay, we've got the Delta variant under control. Oh, boom, here's the Omicron variant or here's the Gamma variant or, or whatever. And there's always going to be that fear that's out there. But as we are adjusting to these things in an effort to avoid lockdowns, which cause economic destruction, and in an effort to make sure that we protect those people among us who are the most vulnerable. And look, for the re- reality is for most people with COVID, um, especially if you've been vaccinated, if you get it, you're going to be uncomfortable for a couple days, you're not going to die. There are exceptions for those people who are most vulnerable. And that's why we need to buy time to figure out if there's a new variant, how you protect them, and at the same time, still keep the economy open. And that's why I, I think partial travel bans that target people who might have been exposed to the virus, as opposed to, gee, we're going to look at your passport, and that's what we're going to use to determine whether you can come and go. That, to me, makes no sense. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is why you cannot have nice things. And it's why coddling criminals and not Paying attention to the small stuff doesn't work 
and inevitably leads to big stuff. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know I I am a huge proponent of what we call the the broken windows form of policing. It's a policing system that's fallen out of favor right now because it holds people accountable. And you have a lot of people out there who just don't think people should be held accountable for stuff. But but I, I firmly believe that if you, for example, if you don't crack down on speeding, it leads to reckless driving, which leads to deaths on the roads when people are blowing through red lights at 95 miles an hour. If you don't crack down on car theft, and for example, in Milwaukee, we don't crack down on car theft. It's just steal a car, you're probably going to be out on the streets, especially if you're a juvenile, as quick as they can just they bring you in, they take your picture, and then they send you off on the streets to steal again. Not cracking down on car theft just leads to more car theft, and it leads to more reckless driving, and it leads to deaths on the highway. You can make that argument about you know pretty much anything, and it, it turns out to be true. If you don't crack down on the smaller crimes, what happens is it leads to the bigger crimes, and history almost always proves me correctly. Now, one of the things, one of the quote-unquote smaller crimes, which we here in Wisconsin and across the country do not seem to take seriously is is shoplifting in to give you an example in in, shop, in California for example um, what they've done San Francisco in particular they have essentially decriminalized shoplifting unless you steal more than a thousand dollars worth of stuff it, it's not a crime it's it's a ticket, like a loitering ticket or something like that. Well, well, what's happened? Well, it started off with people just deciding, hey, we're, we're just going to go hit stores right and left. Walgreens has closed 22 stores in the general California area because of shoplifting, because there's nothing they can do to stop it. People come in, they help themselves to merchandise, and as long as they would keep it under $1,000, even if, even if they'd get caught, and let's face it, the chances of being caught and actually cited are slim to none, and slim is on a bus heading out of town. But even if they're caught, you've got $800 worth of stuff that you have stolen. Well, okay, all you do is you get a loitering ticket that maybe you pay, maybe you don't. So we fostered this attitude that it was okay to steal stuff. And you've had this pretty much throughout the country as well. I mean, when's the last time that you heard of somebody being arrested around here and significantly prosecuted for all right, stealing $500, $800 worth of stuff? It, it just doesn't happen. Well, th- this gets go soft on shoplifting has now morphed into widespread spread, what they call smash and grabs. Um, for example, San Francisco, maybe you've seen that th- these mobs, thieves smashed a Louis Vuitton storefront, Louis Vuitton high-end jewelers, in San Francisco's Union Square, ransacked the store. Criminals also targeted about a dozen nearby stores for theft and vandalism, including a Burberry and a Hermes store, as well as an eyeglass shop and pot dispensaries. Saturday night, there was a raid of the Nordstrom store in um, in suburban in the suburbs of San Francisco. Um, just before closing, 80 people 
jumped out of a pack of cars, flash mob style, swarmed the aisles, many escaping with merchandise. Two employees were assaulted. One of them was pepper sprayed. Just after midnight Sunday, criminals used a sledgehammer, this is Sunday a week ago, to smash storefront windows at a Louis Vuitton store and Saks Fifth Avenue in Beverly Hills. Patrol cars arrived to scare the thieves off. Um, on Monday, another group attended to break into the Nordstrom at the Grove Shopping Center before leading police on a high-speed chase. Um, These are organized retail thefts that are apparently spreading all across the country. It started off in California. Over Thanksgiving weekend, there was a Best Buy in Minneapolis that was targeted by, again, a large number of people operating in these smash-and-grab type of things. I could give you another example of that happens in Chicago. But what you're starting to see is all across the country, this is the latest thing. Let's get a gang. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 people. Let's descend on the store all at once, flash mob style. Let's bring baseball bats. Let's bring crowbars. Let's kick in the windows. Let's steal as much stuff as we can. And then let, let's run away because, first of all, we know the chances are that we're not going to get caught. And secondly, even if we do get caught, chances are not too much is going to happen to us. And so as a result of the, these lax policies that I believe started with the let, let's ignore the small stuff, you now see this becoming bigger and bigger stuff. What makes it worse is it's easier now than ever to sell stolen stuff. I mean, it used to be, I don't know, it used to be that if you, I don't know, went in and looted a high-end jewelry store, you know, you got the Rolexes. You, you needed to you need to find a fence or somebody. You need to find somebody who you could you know pawn the goods off on. That person would buy it, and then they take the risk of reselling it. So it used to be that way. Nowadays, with the internet, you you don't have that middleman. You know, you have people that can you know go on eBay. You have people that can go on some of the other various online shopping things, and you know you can put up. Luxury watches, you can put up diamond bracelets, you can put up all sorts of stuff for sale, and it's not going to be apparent to anybody that that, in fact, was stolen property. So you don't have to... I don't know, get a truck and pull down an alley in some city street and sell people stuff coming off the back of the truck. Now all you have to do is open an up account on the Internet or have a friend of yours open up the account and, and you can fence stuff. It's so much easier to sell. And so what you see is it getting worse and worse and worse. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's, here's what's going to happen. As more, and you're already seeing this happen with the Walgreens stores. As more and more of these stores, particularly in some of these urban areas or these high crime areas, as they get hit harder and harder with the thefts, whether it's organized shoplifting rings or these smash and grab rings or whatever, the cost of doing business goes up and up and up. And Walgreens responding in a perfectly legitimate business way, they're closing stores. They're saying we cannot afford to stay open because we are getting ripped off that much. Now, you, you have thefts and shoplifting that, that's hitting the entire Milwaukee area, not just the city of Milwaukee, but the surrounding regions by people going in and shoplifting. But I guess my point is, if we want to have nice things, 
if we want to have stores that stay open, if we want to have retail stores that employ people and pay property taxes, what we have to do is we have to provide them a safe environment. And the starting point from that is to say when we catch people that are stealing, whether it's three people running into the the Walmart and trying to walk off with $1,500 or $2,000 worth of stuff, or whether it's organized groups showing up and trying to kick in windows and steal tens of thousands of stuff, wouldn't it be refreshing to have law enforcement that comes out and says, this is a big deal, and when we catch you doing this, we are going to hold you accountable. Because if you don't hold people accountable, I guarantee you it is only going to get worse. And you're now starting to see that. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Craig and Horicon. Craig, you're first. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Yes, sir. Good afternoon to you. What do you think? Hey, I, you know what? Uh uh, for the past 25 years, if I walk into a high-end uh, restaurant or bar and, uh, you know, I, I want to get service uh, all night long, rather than throwing down a 20 here and there, I can surrender my ID and a credit card to walk in. I still believe there is a place for retail stores, and I, I'd love to see them continue. You know there's not near enough law enforcement to take care of it or uh, you know, kind of control what's happening on these smash and grabs. But if everyone that walked in the store had to surrender an ID and a credit card, hey, if they want to run out and not, not reclaim their stuff, that's fine. We'll charge them. You know, that's an interesting, uh, Craig, that's actually, it's an, thanks. I mean, that's an interesting idea because you're right. When you open a tab at a restaurant, um, typically speaking, they're going to want a credit card for you, and you're going to have to give them the credit card. So if you decide to cut out on on the tab, they've got the credit card. Now, it might be a stolen credit card or things like that. But I, I understand the idea. I'm not I'm not sure how you make that work on, on a retail shopping level. I mean, uh, thankfully, my wife does most of the shopping in our family, but I was – I mean, I was, I was at a Target store. I needed to get light bulbs of all things. So I, I went to a, a Target store yesterday, and I mean, we got people coming in and out. It, it's tough to expect people to register at, at, at a Walgreens or a Target or something like that. Maybe for some of the, the high-end jewelry stores and things like that, it, it's a little bit different and and maybe you'd be able to put some more controls on it and I, and I think there are things that retailers could probably do but right now these retailers are sitting ducks for what is is going on and it's one of the reasons why whenever you hear people complain about gee there's not there's not this type of business in one of these high crime areas you know why why don't we have more of this type of business or why don't we have more of that type of business in a particular area of, of the city of a city and, and the answer is simple it's because well, crime is certainly one of those factors that, that are there. Because at a certain point in time, if the police aren't going to, if the court system isn't going to be able to protect you, and the people that come in and engage in widespread shoplifting aren't going to be held accountable, well, it's just open season. Come on in and steal stuff. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I, I wanted to comment that because, uh, Walgreens closing is a big deal because Walgreens initially was not was a chain that was not afraid to go into these areas and build stores with security and they had it handled. And if they're closing 22 stores in San Francisco and elsewhere in the country, that is a big deal. And I think that the cops and the judges and whoever have to crack down on 
on what I call the broken windows, uh, yeah. and, you know, get get the small crime out of the way and uh, put these people in jail and get them accounted for, or there's going to be nobody that's going to be able to shop anywhere. Well, right. There's not going to thanks. There's not going to be any businesses that are going to be open. Jeff, I work in retail, and it's bad, and it's only going to get worse. Something has to be done. I think sometimes people look at a store like a Walmart and they say, "Well, Walmart makes a ton of money, so they can absorb the loss." But it's getting to this point where even those places cannot absorb the, the losses. And yeah, that's what you see with the Walgreens. At some point in time, is there a profit margin? Yeah, there's a profit margin. But if you start having the, the losses start to add up over and over again, pretty soon those businesses end up closing. Is a community better off if you've got more businesses that are open or fewer businesses that are open? And I, I guess exempting, maybe you say, oh, we don't need any more check cashing places or something like that. But when you're talking about drugstores, when you're talking about grocery stores, when you're talking about um, other sorts of businesses like that, you want as much of that as possible. And yet we're letting crime force those businesses to close, and that's just wrong. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, the kind, caring, compassionate, woke left on American college campuses is at it again. These are the group of ever-tolerant people who believe well, that essentially that as long as people think like they think, they're, they're okay. But if they don't think like they think or, I don't know, they represent things that they do not like, well, we don't want to associate ourselves with you. And on top of that, we don't think anybody else should as well. Arizona State University. Arizona State University is where Kyle Rittenhouse is at least enrolled. I don't know if he's attending classes online, but he, he's enrolled in in online campus uh, online classes and i think again it's a little bit unclear but if you listen to Kyle Rittenhouse's lawyer in the aftermath of his acquittal on all charges what happened was that he was saying that he thinks that you know Rittenhouse intended to uh, attend Arizona State Okay. Um, now I don't know if it's easier if you're in the online program. I don't know if it's easier to matriculate to campus or how that works, but that, that apparently was his plan. Well, that plan has caught the attention of some of the woke, politically correct students at Arizona State, and, and they do not like it. Several leftist student organizations are demanding that Kyle Rittenhouse be banned from attending classes at the school. Um, like I say, he's he's a non, right now he's a non-degree seeking student, but he has expressed a desire to attend in-person classes uh, eventually. The universities, these are groups. Now, how'd you like to have this on your resume if you're applying for jobs? The universities, Students for Socialism, Students for Justice in Palestine, their Multicultural Solidarity Coalition, and Mecca de ASU, are demanding that school officials withdraw Rittenhouse from the university and release a statement denouncing him and white supremacy. Join us and rally against racist murderer Kyle Rittenhouse being permitted on our campus December 1st at 3.30 p.m. outside the Nelson Fines Arts Center on campus. The group, which describes itself as a <clears throat> socialist Revolutionary Marxist Club. 
That's a trio to draw to. Socialist Revolutionary Marxist Club with a mission to end capitalism and fight for socialism is sending out tweets demanding that um, Kyle Rittenhouse be tossed off campus, even with a not guilty verdict from a flawed justice system. Kyle Rittenhouse is still guilty to his victims and the family of those victims. Join us to demand from ASU that these demands be met to protect students from a violent, bloodthirsty murderer, a bloodthirsty murderer, a, a racist. Now, I guess... I know that people have all sorts of different opinions about the Rittenhouse case, and many people think justice wasn't done. I, I think, as I've argued before, I think based on the nature of the charges, the jury got it right. But this idea, where where was any evidence presented at the trial that the guy was, was a racist? And, of course, where was evidence presented? The jury specifically rejected the idea that he was a bloodthirsty murderer. And whether you think he's guilty or not, I don't think that there's any evidence that any reasonable person could come away from that trial with the idea that the guy was a bloodthirsty murderer as opposed to a stupid, immature kid who put himself in a bad situation and quickly got over his head. But what's interesting to me about this whole thing is, again, these are these tolerant these are these tolerant groups on college campuses that have decided we we know the right answer. And Kyle Rittenhouse doesn't deserve to go here because he's racist. He's a murderer. And we demand that he be thrown out of school. Now, hopefully, Arizona State University is not going to listen to these crazy woke groups. But you understand that this is probably going to be something that has momentum. And you're going to have more groups that are going to do this as well. You could probably have somebody that wanted to matriculate who, for example, was, I don't know, a convicted cop killer. Those people would probably be absolutely fine with the, though, you know, that offense would probably be absolutely fine with some of these groups. But for Kyle Rittenhouse, it's no way. Hopefully, Arizona will stand up to this. I don't know. Time will tell. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Over the weekend, I, I sent out a couple tweets about some of the latest developments in the Daryl Brooks case. He is the psychopath responsible for the massacre out in, in Waukesha at the Christmas parade. And, and, and after a couple, I, I stopped because I found myself just getting incredibly frustrated and my blood pressure going up. So I, I'd stop, but I did want to call your attention to a couple. First of all, I, there was, believe it or not, there was, you will remember that when Kyle Rittenhouse was charged with offenses, GoFundMe stepped in and stopped Rittenhouse from being able to raise money for his defense on, on, on GoFundMe. Well, believe it or not, in the immediate aftermath of the Daryl Brooks massacre in Waukesha, there was, there was a GoFundMe campaign that was started to raise bail money for Daryl Brooks. And and I know I, I say that and you say, Jeff, that cannot be the case. I, I swear, hand in the air. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've got a link to the story, um the one that I have appeared that I think I listed appears in the New York Post. But but here's the deal. Immediately after he was arrested, Daryl Brooks was arrested and he was you know, the bail was set in the amount of five million dollars. 
a GoFundMe effort was started using hashtags including hashtag racism is real and hashtag black BLM, Black Lives Matter. It was set up by somebody under the name James Norton, who called Daryl Brooks um, our dear friend. As someone who knows, I'm quoting now from the GoFundMe page, as someone who knows Daryl personally, I can tell you he would never do such a thing, and I know he is innocent of what he was charged with. I am seeking to raise bail so Daryl can be released and speak his truth to his side of the story in this tragic situation that sees another black man behind bars in a purely political and racist trial according to the GoFundMe campaign. There is no excuse for this continued treatment of black Americans by prosecutors around the country. We ask that he be treated equally as anyone else in this country would be treated, and he should be released until found guilty. Hashtag BLM, hashtag stand with Daryl, hashtag no justice, no peace, and hashtag racism is real. Now, now the GoFundMe page has been now pulled. After it was posted, and I, and I don't know who exactly decided that they were going and whether there were any donations that were made, but maybe it's just me, but I don't think raising funds for the release of Daryl Brooks is a cause that anyone associated with any social justice movement anywhere would want to hitch their wagon to. And I know I have been, some of you have not been happy with me because I have, I have not I don't see, at least at this point, I don't see a racial element to this crime. I, I, I just don't. I see the guy being a, a psychopath, and, and I don't know what his motivation was for driving through that parade, but just like I hate when people try to racialize things. I, I thought a lot of the comments in the Rittenhouse trial trying to portray him as a white supremacist who was there intent on killing black people and stuff, I thought that was way off base. I, I've tried to downplay any sort of racial aspect to this at this point in time. Now, maybe more evidence on motive is going to come out and maybe that'll change my opinion but right now you don't have the evidence of that but the fact that people want to racialize everything in this country as a way of of raising money and i know i say this a lot but i don't know that it's ever been more appropriate if you have money to give to a gofundme campaign to help get daryl brooks out of prison before his trial that really is god's way of telling you that you have way 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 too much money all right there was an interesting story in the Journal Sentinel written by Dan Bice, and, and the headline was Republicans politicize the Daryl Brooks thing. And it talked about how, you know, Republicans in the legislature were jumping on this case to say, okay, maybe this is a need to reform bail. My, my point about the story was, the story wasn't that Republicans were jumping on this. It's, it's why Democrats aren't. Um, because, this this is part of a huge, huge problem in this state and in particular in this area with how we deal with bail. And one of the points that I have been trying to make since we found out the details about Daryl Brooks's background, and, and this is one, clearly nobody in their right mind would think that this guy should have been out on bail. Nobody would have thought that this guy should have been out of prison. I mean, the stories get worse and worse and worse. When I'm looking at a story, Daryl Brooks, suspect in Waukesha crash, threatened to bomb Nugget Casino Resort in Sparks, Nevada in 2000. 2000- 
2070. Apparently, he was charged in March 2007. In 2007, March 18th of 2007, um, he was thre- he threatened to bomb the Nugget Casino Resort in Sparks. Week later, a judge in Nevada released him on his own recognizance. He's also a registered sex offender in Sparks. Um, June 23rd, 2016, Sparks police arrested him for failure to obey sex offenders law. He posted bail but failed to appear in court according to court records. A warrant was issued for his arrest in Nevada and remains active. I mean, th- this guy was a psychopath, career criminal who kept just being turned loose over and over again. Now, it's one thing to look at the Brooks case and say this is a failure of the system. And, and and anybody in their right mind understands that. But here's the bigger problem, and I've been trying to make this point since this occurred. This, the, the Daryl Brooks case, this is what people need to know. It's not a one-off. It's not a, this was a guy who slipped through the cracks. Because what's happening, what happened in the Daryl Brooks case happens multiple times a day in the Milwaukee County court system. This is getting attention because Daryl Brooks killed all these, these people. But, but if, if you would focus on crimes that don't quite rise to this level or don't come close to rising to this level, but nevertheless are crimes that are committed, you will see that this, this happens all the time. Now, I, I've got a link, and again, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to a, a website. It, it's called Wisconsin Right Now, and it's run by uh, Jessica McBride, former reporter by the for the Journal Sentinel back in, in the day, and Jessica had a talk show on our station years and years ago. But they have been all over this, and I have I have a link to this story, and it really... It bears reading. It's Wisconsin right now. And the headline of the story is scrutinizing John Chisholm. Daryl Brooks was not an aberration. And it's a lengthy story. I'm not going to read it all to you, but it's a lengthy story that goes through what's been going on in the Milwaukee County Courthouse and talks about how, as part of these policies, this systematic decision to release people, what you're seeing is fewer and fewer people who are being charged, and more and more people who are being released to commit crimes again and again and again. Let me give you this idea. Since 2015, looking at the numbers 2015 to 2020, which is like the start of COVID, they report that cases with a jail sentence are down over 77%. Over 77%. So this, it's part of this overall plan to essentially release people back into the the community and not have people being sent to jail. The story goes on to talk about how the district attorney's office has a policy of what they call no-processing cases. 
law enforcement makes an arrest. This is what it means. And they send charges over to the DA's office recommending, hey, we think you should be charged with this. We think you should be charged with that. Now, ultimately, a DA's office makes the decision. And just because the sheriff's department says or a local police department says we think these are the charges that are appropriate doesn't mean that you have to go with it. But here's what they report. A Wisconsin Right Now investigation found that Milwaukee County DA John Chisholm's no prosecution rate has exploded in the past year with his office refusing to prosecute six in ten of every felony charge requested by the police. So for every ten felony charges that come over by the police, they just flat out refuse to process six of them. They send them back. No, we're not going to do it. Now, on top of that, of those other four out of ten, it doesn't mean that those people are going to be charged. What it means is that some of them might be charged with some things, but they might, but but six out of ten, they just reject the charges. Last December, the office refused to prosecute more than eight in ten misdemeanor cases. Um, applied for by the cops. The office refused to prosecute about 60% of felony charges referred by local police departments in 2020, a 7% spike in rejected uh, cases. The first two months of 2021 are even worse, with the DA's office rejecting almost 63% of all felony charges. Last year, there was a no-process rate of about 60% for felonies, about 65% for misdemeanors. The trends for 2021, including for violent crime and non-gun prosecutions, are getting even worse. In fact, this is what they report. When it comes to guns, police are referring more firearms cases, but the DA is charging fewer for them. Police referrals for violent crime are down, but the DA's no-process decisions are rising more and more. And then the report goes in to highlight a number of people who were either no-processed or who were let out on ridiculously low bails who have gone on to commit crimes. Admittedly, they, they haven't killed six people with a car and injured, you know, 60 others, but they've committed other sorts of crimes um, all the while out on bail. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As much as people should be outraged by the Daryl Brooks situation, and we all should be, the, the bigger outrage is that this is part of a pattern and practice where we let dangerous people out on the street over and over again to commit crimes. And it's all part of the, this this intentional plan. It's not inadvertent. It's not, it's not something that's not intended. John Chisholm's office is part of something they call the Safety and Justice Challenge. Um, these are communities. They focus on making the justice system more fair and equitable, reimagine and rebuilding local criminal justice systems, reducing jail incarceration and increasing equity for all. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And it is these policies which lead to the spike in car thefts. It's what leads to the spike in burglaries. It's what leads to the spike in homicides. It's what leads to the spikes in violent crime. Not putting people in jail does not help. And I guess my question to you is, how much more of this is the community going to take? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Yes, you're correct. Correct. This is a plan. John Chisholm and Chief Judge Mary Trigiano are believers in letting people out of jail on lower no bail and so-called reforms. In the process, they are failing to protect the public. I, I Look, I just agree completely. The court system is a complete and total failure right now. And if you put a police officer under oath, they'll, they'll tell you that. You know, we, we talk a lot about, well, we need, whenever there's a shooting incident, we talk about we need more gun laws. Wait, and 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 I that's fine, but we're not enforcing the laws that we have now. You know, if, if we keep letting recidivist criminals out on low bails or out on probation or double secret probation, and there's no consequences when they reoffend, what do you think is going to happen? And, and you know, this is really just the tip of the iceberg. Part of the aggravating thing, especially when it comes to reckless driving and car thefts and stuff, I keep saying this: juvenile court records are sealed. If because we, we want to protect the little darlings. And so unless and until somebody finally does something bad enough to get waved into adult court, there, there, there's no record of the charges that are brought against them. So you have no way of knowing whether somebody has stolen one car or whether they've stolen 12 cars or 13 cars or been involved in the reckless driving type of things. You know, you, you just have no way of knowing it. And I really firmly believe it's the tip of the iceberg. Let's start with Dom in New Berlin. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon there. Uh, I was listening to your show. I actually am a convicted felon that's, you know, been in prison. And I was listening to you, and I, I do agree that there needs to be some reform to bail. But cause I've seen, you know, some people that have been multiple offenders get out on a signature bond. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen first-time offenders on minor charges get put on $50,000 bond or bail. And it just... It's a system that is flawed. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, thanks for calling them. I don't know, I, I don't know that you see too many first offenders. To, to get a $50,000 bond put on you in Milwaukee County, you have to do something really, 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 really bad. And I'm, I'm not sure there's there's too much of that out there. See, here, here's here's the bottom line of this. We need to take this seriously. And unfortunately, you have people who are in the system who, who don't – I don't want to say don't take it seriously, but, but they're – They wake up in the morning, and this is what John Chisholm said in 2007. He said, I'm going to do these reforms. I'm going to let people out, and I know that somebody I let out is going to kill people. Okay, Uh, well, all right, now he's got to live with that. He's got to own it. But my point is, it's not just Daryl Brooks. It's happening all over the community, and I I think at a much more shocking level than people think. And just a, a little hint, if I was a TV news director at one of the television stations, perhaps looking for something to do on Sweeps Week, maybe what I do is start looking at some of the people who were let out on low bails or double secret probation and some of the things that they've done. Because I think once you at least start to dig below the surface, like this Wisconsin Right Now story does, it's just, it's a horror show. But, I, I, you know, the new, newspaper doesn't want to get in touch with that. Newspaper just wants to deal with this all as being, oh, it's this political thing. No, it's a real issue that is putting people's lives at jeopardy. But, of course, you, you, don't, you don't want to go down this route because it's politically incorrect to do that. And the argument is, well, Jeff, are you saying that some people should be locked up? And my answer is, hell yes. Absolutely. If you've committed serious crimes and you have a lengthy record and you're out on bail and you commit another crime, yes, to release you on a similar bail is absolutely insane. It's just flat out insane. But more than that, it is putting the lives of people at risk. Now, I understand 
COVID shutdown, the DA's office, I, they're still not having in-person conferences. The DA's office, I think it's still, you know, everybody's working at home. So I understand it's shut down stuff, but that's not, that, that's not a do not, you know, the, the get out of jail card free for all the criminals that are out there. And I think at some point in time, we've got to start owning this. And instead of worrying about, gee, are we putting too many of this type or that type of person in jail? What we really need to be saying is why the heck aren't we? putting more people in jail, how much more of this are law-abiding taxpayers in Milwaukee County and the surrounding areas, how much more crime are we going to put up with? Because, again, it it's, it spreads. You might say, well, what do we care about what goes on in Milwaukee County? And I don't live in Milwaukee County. You know, if, if you would say that, I don't live in Milwaukee County. What do I care? Well, okay, the guy who killed all those people in Waukesha, he was from Milwaukee County. I mean, that's, that, that's where this whole thing thing starts and so for people who think it's a one-off i'm sorry you're, you're wrong this is an intentional plan not to release daryl brooks necessarily but it's part of this system that releases people like daryl brooks back into the community over and over and over again so in the name of political correctness and reform and wokeness we are risking everybody's lives in this community, regardless of what your color is. Crime doesn't care. Crime is colorblind. And the people that perpetrate that crime against people, they're colorblind, too. They're looking for targets of opportunity. And unfortunately, we have a criminal justice system that is giving them, giving those targets to them. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. When all is said and done, LeBron James will, I think, go down in NBA history as one of the the greatest basketball players of all time. I'm not saying the greatest, but I mean, he's definitely going to be up there in the conversation with Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and then some of the, the greats from, you know, earlier years. LeBron James, I'm looking at the salary list, the top 30 salary lists for the NBA. LeBron James makes $41 million and some change, $41.1 million for this year, 2021 to 2022, $41 million. By the way, that only puts him sixth. If if you want to just talk about the crazy money that's out there, that puts he's sixth this year. Stephen Curry is number one. He makes $45.7 million. James Harden, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, and then LeBron James. Giannis this year is number nine. He makes $39.3 million. Now, this is just this year. So, I mean, there's, you know, Giannis signed a, a multi-year contract extension, and my guess is that, you know, it gets bigger in years past, in, in future years. But LeBron James makes $41.1 million to play basketball, and that's just one year. That That, that doesn't take into account... Any of the money he's made in previous years, it doesn't take into account the millions and millions of dollars that sponsors throw at him to endorse different things. You would think, I guess, if you make all that money, you you, you just you, you'd have some degree of self satisfaction. And it seems like LeBron James is just completely and totally losing it. Now you might have seen this about a week ago. He was suspended. Um, 
by the NBA for one game because what happens is um, it was what a week ago Sunday he was playing the Detroit the game against the Detroit Pistons and he got into a scuffle and he hauls off and he hits one of the opposing players in the face right kind of by the eye and that that's an area that bleeds pretty easily and so opened up this big cut and started bleed you know and so he drew blood he I mean, he threw a punch. He, he threw a punch. Now, I think in many cases, doing that would have gotten you suspended for more than one game. But the NBA said, oh, we're going to get serious. We're going to suspend him for a game because he threw a punch. Okay, So he comes back uh, Wednesday night. He, he sat out a game against New York. So he comes back Wednesday night, and they're playing. The Lakers are playing Indiana. And they ended up winning in overtime, but it was a, a closely contested game. At some point in time, LeBron James apparently gets extremely upset and makes an obscene gesture on the court involving grabbing himself in a certain location. And then then goes and does an interview afterwards where he's using obscenities, and you're not supposed to do that as well. But I'm thinking, this guy makes forty some mil, $41 million. Instead of, I don't know, being angry and making the obscene gestures by grabbing, you know, private parts and, and using the exp- expletives, it, wouldn't it be interesting once in a while to see somebody who just recognizes that they, they've been given the world by by the tail and, and maybe they should just kind of enjoy the ride and thank God for all that the, the blessings that God, you know, reached down and bestowed upon somebody the ability to make more money than perhaps most people will make in their entire lifetime in one year by by playing a game as opposed to here we're going to throw punches and we're going to curse on television and we're going to grab ourselves and things like that. You really start to wonder if in the twilight of his career, guys like LeBron James are just are just completely and totally losing it. Or you might just wonder whether this is just more evidence that that money can't buy class, no matter how you have it. But LeBron James kind of moving into an interesting point in his career where he seems more and more and more unhappy. All right. I've been waiting all weekend to discuss this with you. Um, New York, city of New York, is moving towards passing legislation which would allow legal residents who are non-citizens to vote in municipal elections. Now, the city of New York can't control who votes in statewide elections because, again, that's, that's governed by state laws. They can't govern who votes in federal elections because that's governed by, by federal law. But when it comes to local elections, city council, school board, I don't think they vote for school board anymore out there, but city council, mayor, for all these elections, the city of New York can decide who it is that they want to allow to vote. So the story is the city council is planning, I think as early as this week, to approve a bill that would allow more than 800,000 non-citizen New Yorkers So these would be people who are legal residents, you know, on green cards or whatever, to register and to vote in municipal elections, again, provided they're green card holders or have the right to work in the U.S. So I guess here on a visa or something like this, Uh, the measure is expected to be approved next week by a veto proof 
margin. Uh, it doesn't apply to federal and state contests, but it does allow people to participate in all the local elections, regardless of whether you are a legal, regardless of whether you are a citizen or not. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Lines. So, Let's say I am a citizen of Mexico who is legally in the United States. I've got a green card or a a visa or whatever. Under this provision, I could vote, I don't know, in Mexican national elections because I'm, I'm a citizen of Mexico. I could also then vote in New York local elections. Should we allow non-citizens to vote? 855-616-1620, we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. The New York City Council is about to pass a veto-proof resolution, which would, if enacted, allow non-residents to vote in local elections. Non-citizens, that would be. So, if you're here on a visa, you're here on a green card. You could you could vote. Now let's let's think about the significance of what this could mean. So you have somebody who is, for example, temporarily here, somebody who's on a on a visa, ninety day visa, whatever. You would be able to vote in like local elections. So you could vote to decide. Gee, I, there's a candidate that's running that's going to raise everybody's taxes. I I really think this is a great deal. I'm going to vote for him. And then you know three months later you go back to wherever it is that you came from. But you've helped elect somebody who is going to raise taxes on on all the people in the city of of New York. I mean does that, what what could possibly go wrong with this? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Let's talk to uh Dave in Waukesha. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I you know I think it's silly. Uh you know, I get that people who live here want to vote, but if you're not a citizen, mm-hmm. really, you, sh- you shouldn't be allowed to vote. I mean, and then with all the voter fraud that's going on and accusations of that, I mean, yeah. isn't that just like pouring gasoline on the fire? Well, it would seem to me. No, thanks for call. I mean, I think that's a that's a that's a very good point. But yeah, yeah first of all, yes, th- this just opens up the door for that. But on to the, the larger premise. You know, I understand somebody just texted me saying, well, I, I think if you, you know, live in a community, you should have some say over how that community is is governed. OK, well. That's why, you know, you have to make a commitment to that community, and that's why you become a citizen, and then you get a chance to vote. Why why become a citizen if we are going to allow you to vote in the elections? Can you imagine? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think if you had, I don't know, let's say I was living in France, you know, on, on a visa or whatever. I got a work visa or whatever. I'm living in France, and I decide, well, I want to vote in all the municipal elections. They, they'd look at you like you were crazy. They'd say, well, no, if you want to vote in the municipal elections, you know, get dual citizenship. Become a citizen of France, and then you can end up voting. But, again, the larger point here is you have people who are here on a temporary basis, whether it's visas or even with the green cards. They, they, they are citizens of other countries. So they are by nature transitory, and you're letting them 
make decisions that are going to affect everybody, including the people that are, in fact, citizens. I mean, I, I you, you got 800,000 votes there. If they do this, you got 800,000 people that have arguably a much different agenda. If I'm... It's like the difference between renting and owning. You know, if you rent a car, you treat that differently than the car that you own. If you rent a house or you rent an apartment, you treat that differently than something that you own. And that's exactly this. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here on this visa. I'm here for, for six months. All right. So I'm going to, gee, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have free this or free that or free whatever for, you know, the, those remaining six months that I'm here or the balance of the year because I'm going back to where I came from, you know, next year. So, hey, I'm going to vote to elect this particular person because they're promising me they're going to give me this, that and the other thing. And I'm not going to have to figure out how to pay for it later on because I, I'm, I'm going to be gone. I'm heading back to, to wherever. That's, that's the reason why you need to have that's one of the many reasons why you need to have citizens that vote but in this particular situation i i i guess not i understand it's again it's it's politically popular it's um one of those deals where if i were one of these politicians who wanted to stay in office and all of a sudden i increase the voting population by 800,000 and I'm the guy that can go and say hey you know I I'm I got you guys all the vote you you know at least short term you're going to benefit from this long term just an absolute disaster and it's just amazing to me that People are willing to do this. Now, I understand we've got this woke culture, this woke culture that's out there, and we've got this whole idea of we won't need to be politically correct, and, and we don't want to be perceived as being anti-immigrant or whatever. Okay, but voting, last time I looked, voting was something pretty sacred, and we do have all sorts of issues with legitimacy of elections, and I think Trump lost the election. I'm not going down that route, but the last thing you need to do is suddenly say, okay, we're going to take 800,000 new voters who are not citizens, who in some cases might have extremely tenuous ties to, in this case, the community, and we're going to let them vote. I mean, who who thinks that's a good idea? Well, I guess a majority of the city council in New York. Hopefully, this is not an idea that will spread too far. But you know, there's got to be some legislatures out in the People's Republic of Madison saying maybe this is what we need to do next. Hope not. All right, let's run a couple numbers. Sort of interesting here. Um, the Green Bay Packers stock sale. Remember, we told you about that, and this is your chance to essentially donate money to the Green Bay Packers, $300 a share. You can buy X number of shares, but it, it's non-voting. It doesn't get dividends, doesn't appreciate in value. You can't sell it. Um, right, right when they first did the sale, there was this huge spike, and I think like the first couple days, they sold like $33 million worth of stock. It has slowed down. But I've got some good news. Um, if if you didn't get in that initial rush and you still have $300 or more burning a hole in your pocket, well, more than half of the 300,000 shares being offered remain available. And the sale is set to run until February 25th. The um, They have sold about 138,000 shares at $300 a share. So that translates into more than $41 million worth of, of stock. And again, the stock 
It's just a certificate that you end up putting up on your wall. So there was that big rush early on, and now it's kind of slowed down. But nevertheless, they've generated $41 million. So if you're still looking for that gift for somebody who literally has everything, and you've got $300 burning a hole in your pocket, there the good news is there's still um, more than half of the 300,000 shares of Packer stock remaining. And I'm sure there's somebody up at Lambeau Field who would be delighted to sell you the stock. All right, now something else, something that, that really is tangible, um, the money that's raised for the victims of the Waukesha Christmas Parade a- attack. Uh, at the There's GoFundMe accounts. Um, donations have been flooding into the United for Waukesha Community Fund. And um, as of Sunday, the United for Waukesha Community Fund had received roughly $1.8 million, 7,000 individual donors, donors from all 50 states and 12 countries. Biggest individual donor was GE that kicked in $100,000. American Family donated $50,000. Coles, the Wahlbeck Group, also donated 50000 bucks. But, I mean, th- this is amazing. They, they've raised, just the community fund has raised almost $1.8 million, And then with some of the individual GoFundMe accounts, they've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars more. So this is, it's just m- more than $2 million raised so far, which really does show that, you know, people can come together in, in times of, of crisis and, and do the right thing. So you can buy a share of Packers stock for 300 bucks. You can donate to the uh, victims of the Waukesha Christmas Parade attack. However you decide to do it this holiday season, I'm sure the money will be well spent. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Melissa, have you ever broken a toe? I've never broken a toe. I've stubbed a toe really bad. Yeah. Not yeah. broken, though. But it's, I, I've been interested with these stories because I did break a toe once. And um, and they, they told me, now, of course, I'm not a professional football player, so I don't know. But they told me there, there's really nothing yeah, you can do for, for an average do. person. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what they did is, for me, it was the middle toe oh. that I, I busted. It wouldn't hurt, hurt it my hurt neck. so bad. Right. And, and what they did <laughs> yeah. is they just... They tape it, you know. That that's the, I think they call it like the buddy system. They, they you know they want to hold it in place, so they just tape it next against the next buddy to system toe. with the toe. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. So they, they tape it, but I so I didn't even know. I, I guess I had heard for big toes that sometimes they can do surgery. So, but his is his little a toe. pinky toe. Yeah, the little toe. I wondered yeah. about that because he he seemed he was playing great, and yeah. but he was limping a little bit towards oh, yeah. towards the end. So it definitely was affecting oh, you yeah. know, the way he was walking. But oh yeah, so yeah. I, I mean I can and I'm just I'm sure it it hurts like you know oh, yeah. what you oh, know yeah. <laughs> just, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sure it does and and that's that's just for an average person would hurt much less if you're being chased around by you know by defensive <laughs> yeah. tackles who want to jump on you and stuff so. Mm. I think the bye week is coming at a pretty good time for I agree. that. Yeah. All right. And I hear I, our first river cruise that we did a couple years ago, um, it was the Danube. And we started out in um, Budapest, which I, I didn't 
I never realized Budapest was two cities. It's Buda and Pest, separated by the Danube. And apparently, like during World War II, the Germans were on one side and the Russians were on the other for like three years, just bomb, you know, flowing, you know, um, bombs back and forth at each other and shelling and stuff. And they've they've really kind of rebuilt the entire city. It's it's of all the different places that I have been in the world, Budapest remains one of my one of my favorites um just for a variety of reasons but one of the interesting things when we were there is we had a we had a a guide and, and Budapest is behind the the old iron curtain so up until 1989 or whatever it was under soviet rule and it was just so interesting to travel with with these guides that were there during the soviet rule and i wish i wish i could have brought a couple of them back to the united states and just turned over this radio show to them for a few hours because i i understand that there are some people particularly some young people uh, in in this country who think oh it would be great to live under, you know, a socialist rule. Oh, communism's great. This is wonderful. If you would talk to these guides and and hear them tell the stories of what it was like to live under Soviet rule, you'd go, my gosh. And I mean, they would tell various stories about how if you wanted to buy a car, you, it wasn't like you do here. You you go to different auto dealers, you find the car you want, you negotiate a price. No, you had no choices. What you would do is you would go into the state-sponsored auto dealer. You would give them the money, and then three or four years later, you would get whatever car came off the, the assembly line in East Germany. You, you had no choices a- at all. They would talk about for Christmas shopping how – one weekend in early December, it would probably be this upcoming weekend, the the state would bring in like candy and things like that from the West. And they would open up the state run like like Christmas stores that were open for three or four days. And that was it. People would line up and stand in line for hours and hours for the opportunity to go in and buy something from the West. And after that, it, it was just done. It was and it was story after story after story like that that really just kind of hit home with me. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I, we just do not understand how good we have it un- under our system of government with all the different flaws that we end up having. And, and that that's the Soviet Union. Then can you imagine what it would be like to, to live in China with the different repression? And here, here's just a, a little story of this, but it shows how the you know how we appreciate our, our ability to express ourselves and communicate and discuss ideas and and disagree and this is from somebody who's made his living for the last you know more than 25 years full or part-time uh, you know under the umbrella of the first amendment well here, here's the deal the the simpsons simpsons tv show um all of the various seasons of the simpsons um they now they now stream on disney plus so, you know, if you got a Disney Plus subscription, you could, you know, spend the entire month of December essentially watching all the episodes of The Simpsons that there are. However, however, you would find a gap because there is a, there's a 2005 episode of The Simpsons where The Simpsons family is visiting Beijing. You cannot see that episode in China. The Chinese government has forced uh, the Disney to remove this particular episode. Why? Because apparently there's one joke in this 
this episode. Um, they, Homer takes his family to China, where they visit Tiananmen Square, which is, of course, you know, where the Chinese troops shot all the people. We had the massacre. So they visit Tiananmen Square, and they come across a placard that reads, on this site in 1989, nothing happened. Okay, so that's, that, that's kind of the joke. You know, the Chinese government is trying to sanitize history, pretend that this, you know, pretend that this stuff didn't occur. Sort of like we do in this country where we say we, we can't have James Madison Memorial High School out in Madison anymore because, well, even though he was the fourth president of the United States, you know, he was also a slave owner. So we have to pretend this didn't exist and we have to change the names. So the, the, the joke is on this site in 1989, nothing happened. Well, apparently, this is exactly what has happened. The Chinese government has come in and and censored that and said there can be no references at all to what happened in Tiananmen Square in 1989. And so it's now they forced Disney Plus to remove that episode. (laughs) So you you, you can't even see it anymore because of this little joke. I, I, I bring it up because... For all the problems we have in this country and all the dysfunction that goes along and all the disagreements that go along, for people out there who think it might be better somewhere else, well, I mean, talk to people who grew up under the repressive rule of the Soviet Union. Talk to people who who lived in China with, with this idea that you can't even watch a cartoon show on TV if it's got something that even gently nudges or, or pokes at the government. Imagine what living in a world like that would be, and then we should all be really glad that we're Americans. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So tomorrow night we have the taping of our annual Christmas show. It's uh, going to be held out in Waukesha at the site of the the former uh, Country Springs Hotel. Looking forward to that. The event is, of course, sold out, but you're going to have a number of opportunities to hear the replay, um, I think, starting in in the middle of the month, you know, working through the holiday season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, The script this year is really, really good. I think it's it's really funny, and, of course, part of it is where the, the theme is, um, it's been a wonderful career. We're all celebrating uh, the retirement of Gene Miller. That might not be the way to say it. We're all very sorry to see Jane, Gene go, but we are um, really we're trying to send him off in a in a good, positive way. And uh, Gene is definitely going to be missed. But I I was I was like looking through some of the rules. For example, the people that are attending the event last night um, need to be fully vaccinated you know you need to have you have proof of vaccination or proof of uh of a negative covid test or something like that whatever the different requirements are so we've got that requirement put in place i was thinking of that because i am at least right now i'm fully vaccinated i I got my soon as i was eligible to get vaccinated i got vaccinated i think my first shot was in march my second shot was in april and i am scheduled to get my covid booster on wednesday wednesday at 4 30 got an appointment to go in and get the covid booster now i i admit i've been i i guess a little hesitant about this and i'll, I'll explain why i um i have i i had covid last november so i know i've got some natural immunity i i've had the two vaccinations the again in, in uh, march and april and so i i feel relative i feel protected for it i i'm not 
I'm not concerned with COVID. Maybe I should be, but I'm, I, I'm not. I feel between all that stuff, I am, I am protected. At the same time, I, I understand that people are recommending that you get the booster. I know a lot of people who have had the booster who have had adverse reactions to it. Now, I, I'm not talking about, you know, hospitalized or things like that, but I know, I, I know several people who have, kind of felt like the bottom of a birdcage for a couple days, you know, after they've gotten the booster. Now, I had almost no reaction to the first shot. I had almost no reaction to the second shot. I had a flu shot a month or two ago. I've had no reaction to that. So I guess my thinking was, in the exercise of caution, what, what the heck? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. We, we've got winter coming on, and I haven't had a negative reaction yet, and I, I'm going to do it. I've got it. Got to tell management around here that I am getting it Wednesday night because I know um, people that have had the boosters. Gene Miller had the booster, and he was out sick for a couple of days. I know Melissa had her booster, and she was not feeling well. And, and again, it's not enough to stop me from doing it. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it on Wednesday, and hopefully my reaction will be the same as to the other ones. But what's what's really developing now around these booster shots is an interesting discussion. A lot of places have rules that say – in order to participate in this or that or the other thing, you need to be fully vaccinated, right? And if you want to, if you want to come into this restaurant, if you want to show up at this place, you need to be fully vaccinated. And fully vaccinated has always been defined as as, as two shots of either Pfizer or Moderna or the one shot of the Johnson & Johnson, you know, the one dose. But that has always been what we've defined as, as fully vaccinated. And I, I consider myself to be fully vaccinated. But nevertheless, I, I've made the decision I'm, I'm going to get the, the booster here. Well, what's interesting now is that a number of particularly Democrat governors across the country are starting to say, We've got to change the definition of fully vaccinated. The definition of fully vaccinated should no longer be just the, the, the regular dose, two shots of Moderna or Pfizer, one shot of J&J, but rather it should be also the booster shot as well. For example, the governor of New Mexico, her name is Michelle Lujan um, Grisham, she's saying three doses should be considered to be fully vaccinated. And if you don't have that, you shouldn't be treated as that. They say that New Mexico, they think that they're going to be a public health order released in the coming weeks updating the definition. Uh, the governor of Connecticut says he thinks that booster shots are needed to qualify a person as fully vaccinated and has left open the question about whether or not there's going to be health orders that require that. But the way it works right now is you are treated as fully vaccinated, again, if you've had the two shots or the one of J&J. But more and more places are saying, okay, maybe we think that's not good enough. All right, now this isn't a discussion about whether or not you should be vaccinated or not. This is a question for those of us who are vaccinated. Do you think in order to be treated as fully vaccinated, to be able to go about you know, your business as usual, do you think you should be required to have the booster? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And then I guess related to that, how how far do we go with this? If you now need the booster to be fully vaccinated now, are you going to need another booster in April? Are you going to need another booster in you know November? Uh, depending on what variation comes to this country, are you going to need a, va- uh, a booster for that? A- at some point in time, 
are we going to have to keep modifying the definition of fully vaccinated? So do you think that you should be considered fully vaccinated if you only have the original dose of the um, vaccines? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I, I think that these governors need to, to shut this down, and, and because I, I, and this is coming from the perspective of somebody who is pro-vaccine. I'm anti-government mandate of vaccine, but I'm pro-vaccine. I think people should do it, but I, I think it is a distraction. The, the key, I think, starts off with trying to encourage people to to get vaccinated in the first place. Now, booster shots may very well be a good idea. And I'm getting a number of texts from people who are talking about how they've had the booster shot and they've had adverse reactions to it, things like that. And I, and look, and I, I don't know, I, I know, like I say, I know some people personally have had that situation. I'm going to go ahead and get it on Wednesday anyways. But to me, th- it is an unnecessary distraction for politicians to push this third booster shot, because I think this is something that people should be able to decide for for themselves. Otherwise, it becomes this sort of endless chain of, okay, well, you know, you're not fully vaccinated unless you've had your most updated and recent shots. The, the, I think the battle should be trying to encourage people to get vaccinated in the first place, which is what I think most people would agree is, is the major step towards stopping the, the spread of the COVID. Beyond that, you, you get the booster shot, and it, it tends to probably give you some more immunity. It tends to minimize the consequences should you get COVID and things like that. So, I mean, I'm not anti the booster. But if all of a sudden we're to go and say, all right, we fought this huge battle to get people to get two shots to begin with, the full dose of Pfizer or Moderna, and now, okay, we promised you that if you did this, you're going to be considered fully vaccinated so you can go into stores. You can, you know, once you've got proof of this, you can go to Summerfest. You can go to the ball games. You can do all these things, and, and the rules aren't, you know, you, you can go back to some sense of normalcy. And now if we're going to change that and all of a sudden say, okay, well, you know, forget about all that. Now you need to go get the, the booster. I think all you're going to do by doing that is, again, encourage a, a schism between the people who made the decision voluntarily to get it in the first place and and those who want to end up getting the booster. I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I, I've, I've, re- I've vacillated on this. If I had had a significant negative, re- a significantly bad reaction to either of the first doses that I got. I, I, I'm not sure I would have gotten the booster because, again, I, I feel, I, I feel I've got a degree of protection. I feel I've got a degree of immunity, but I, I didn't, I didn't have many consequences. Knock on wood. Hope that's going to be the case moving forward. But I guess I'm kind of of the attitude of, well, it, it, it can't hurt to go get get the third shot. So I'm going to do it. But if somebody were to say to me, Jeff, I was sick as a dog after I got those first two. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. But, you know, I was sick as a dog, and I don't necessarily feel like going back. I I, I don't think we should treat those people as second-class citizens. In my opinion, they did the right thing by making the decision to get the vaccine in the first place. And I don't want to see our society further divided between the people that have got the booster shot and the people that haven't, especially since a lot of medical experts 
are divided over this as well as to, you know, how much benefit the booster really does give you. I'm getting it, but I don't want to see the people who decide not to get the booster, but who've already been vaccinated, treated as somehow inferior because they're making that decision. That's not helpful. When we come back, let's find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.